Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. That's not too bad, but uh, first of all, understand that the Wildcats won this weekend, which I know you're all happy about, and it's going to be 70-some degrees this week. A lot to look forward to. Let's try that again. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Sweet. Awesome. Oh, getting drunk. Got your attention now, didn't I? Um, Getting drunk is never a good idea. Uh, When you drink too much, you're hurting your liver, you're doing all kinds of things to your brain cell, Um, it's fattening, and also when you get drunk, you have a tendency to say what you really mean. And that's hardly ever a good idea either, right? Um, as most of you know, before I became a Christian in 1997, I spent a better part of a decade as a pretty outspoken atheist. And along with that decade as an atheist, I also rock and rolled all night and partied every single day. And I, I used to like to drink, not too much because I'm a control freak, but I liked to, used to like to drink. And, and I, one night back in 1993... Uh, I think it was. I was down at, some of you may remember when Johnson's was downtown in Portsmouth. And I was in downtown Johnson. I was having, kicking back a, a, a few uh, uh, malt and hop sodas with uh, a buddy of mine. And we were sitting there talking about sports and politics and all that kind of stuff that we liked. And all of a sudden, a bunch of girls began to sit at our table. Now, back then, I would certainly encourage that. Um, I liked it when girls came and sat at my tables back then, but it was apparent within a few seconds that, first of all, these girls had gotten drunk and then gone to the bar. We've gone from a bad idea to a really bad idea, right, when you get drunk and then go to the bar. Um, And then I noticed something else. Among this crowd of girls were two ex-girlfriends from high school. (laughs) And one of them pointed their finger at me and said, you're a jerk. And I understood what she meant when she said I was a jerk, but she decided she wanted to elaborate on it. And so she went on and on and on, and then when she got done, her friend, my other ex-girlfriend, decided she had to go in too, and they went on and on and on. Now, I still see these people around town, and now you see them in like Walmart or or whatever. They're like, hi, you know. Back then, they're like, ah, you know. That's the difference alcohol, too much alcohol will make. Now, what in the world does that have to do with the sermon? Well, actually, quite a lot. We're going to look at Ephesians 5. We've been conti- we're continuing in this series on the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the churches in Ephesus. And so we're looking at, at Ephesians 5, 1 through 21 this morning. Let's take a look. Throw it up there if you would, guys. Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. Here we go. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, and we're going to talk about that this morning, or any other kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving, being thankful. Verse 6. 
For of this, oh, there we go. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Empty words or, or foolish philosophy. We're going to talk about that this morning, too. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Some the wisdom and some discernment. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. He's going to unpack what that means. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. He's talking about the cults there in Ephesus. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, and actually the word there is do not get exhausted on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So he's doing this kind of thing. Do not do this, but be this with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. His kind of real linchpin there that I want to hit on is to be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? He gives some examples there about what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. He says, first of all, about sexual immorality. And what he's talking about there is being faithful to your spouse. Now, believe it or not, when Paul argues this in his letters, that is a revolutionary concept at the time. Faithfulness to your husband or wife was considered, no one did that. No one did that. No one outside of Judaism, anyway, did that. In in the Roman and Greek world, the way this worked was, your spouse was basically chosen by your parents, Your parents chose who you were to be married to. And the view was, your wife, if you're a man, you married your wife, your parents chose, and that woman was to take care of your household, have your children, and raise your children, and that was it. There was no romance. There was no love. It was an arrangement between families, and that was it. And in places like Ephesus, which had a huge temple, this huge temple to false gods, They wouldn't go there just to worship false gods. That was a pretense. What was really going on there is you would go and you'd have a big meal and you'd have lots of wine and there'd be lots of music and there'd be temple prostitutes. And so the guys, basically all men who kind of were of Greek background who were living in Ephesus, basically they worked all day. They'd come home and find their dinner there from their wife, see their kids, and then they'd go off to the temple to have fun. And you'd go get drunk. And you'd sleep with one of the temple prostitutes. And that was just considered the way things are. And they didn't see anything wrong with it. And the wives knew what they were doing. The wives were used to it. That's just the way things were. It was completely accepted. And so when Paul said, you need to be faithful to your spouse, they would have been like, what? Why? She doesn't care. I don't care. Nobody's getting hurt. What's the big deal? I mean, that's the way, one of the reasons why Christianity initially grew with so many women, and it was hard for men to come to Christ, it was like, there is one God. 
And salvation is through Jesus Christ. They were like, yes, great, wonderful. And you'll be faithful to your spouse. Like, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute there, pal. Let's stop it right there. That doesn't make any sense to me. It made no sense to them whatsoever. This was a revolutionary concept to them. Now, today, we take that for granted. Today, I think if Paul were writing to the church in Portsmouth or writing to the church anywhere in the Western world, he would probably say something like this. Since we already take it for granted, we're supposed to be faithful to our spouse. When he says sexual immorality, what he probably means is pornography. Paul would probably write, you do not expose yourself to pornography. You just don't do it. And the numbers of men, including Christian men, and even, according to some polls, 40% of a growing number of women are addicted to internet pornography. Do you know that pornography in North America makes more money than the NFL, Major League Baseball, and the NBA combined? It is just taken for granted. And when I used to mentor a lot of young guys, it was the number one issue they had. When we sit there and go through the discipleship process, we get to the point where it's like, okay, I need to see the history on your phone, your iPad, your laptop. We need to put software on there that sends me an email that shows me every website you go to. And be like, because uh, it's such a problem. And just like in Ephesus, they would say, what's the big deal? I mean, nobody's getting hurt. It's just fun. I'd argue a lot of people are getting hurt. One of these days, I would love to have Donnie Pauling come to this church. Donnie Pauling is a guy who was a porn producer for Playboy.com, who then came to Christ, of course, left all that behind, and is now a pastor, and he tells stories about being on the set and watching girls filming and afterwards filming, going into the corner, crawling into the fetal position and crying. I promise you, it is not just harmless. And what happens when guys go on and engage in in pornography is they are creating essentially a virtual harem. That's what they're doing. I think that's what Paul would say today. And he would say, he describes it being faithful to God, not engaging in idolatry, which is worshiping false gods. Now, you're probably sitting there going, that's not a problem for me. I come to Christ Community Church. I don't leave Christ Community Church and then go to a mosque. I don't leave Christ Community Church and then go to the Mormon tabernacle. I don't do any of that stuff. I just go to Christ Community Church. I worship Jesus. The problem with that is this. That's a little too narrow of you. We're not just talking about worshiping a false god. We're talking about what is the God of your life? Where's your heart? What is at the center of your life? If I looked at your bank account, if I looked at your schedule and where you spend your time, where is it? Because I can look at that and I can tell you what your God is. Now, let's be honest, what I think I struggle with and what a lot of men struggle with, sports. Sports. It's true. We get so wrapped up. In our favorite college football team, our favorite college basketball team, our favorite baseball team, we do all that. And it's just like, it's almost like a religion. And if you don't believe me, think about this. And I I will plead guilty. Yesterday, I was over at my parents' house while my wife was here rehearsing for worship. And I was watching the Kentucky basketball game with Kentucky whip up on LSU. Yes. And I was watching it every time Jamal Murray sunk a three-pointer or Scott Labasseri, you know, swatted a ball. I was like, yes! I was cheering. But then, 
When we have people up here and we baptize them, I don't cheer, I do this. Oh, that's nice. Which one's more important? Right? Do you find yourself doing that? I do. And I'm not saying that you have to just divest yourself of all sports. It's just putting things in right perspective. I love sports, but at the end of the day, as much as I love Kentucky basketball, and people ask me, why are you in Ohio and you love Kentucky basketball? I was raised by two Kentuckians. I was indoctrinated. <laughs> all right? You're a Rawlings. You don't, you're not part of Big Blue Nation. You're no longer a Rawlings. That's just the way it is. We will shun you, okay? And... And, you know, it, it, but at the end of the day, as much as I love watching Kentucky basketball, at the end of the day, it's a 19, 20-year-old boy bouncing and throwing a ball. That's all it is. And it has no eternal significance whatsoever. Now, with women, what you guys struggle with, I, I don't know. Uh, based on my, what I see my wife do, I guess it's Pinterest. Um, uh, and that, and every time, you know, for some reason, I mean, my wife and my mother both love Hobby Lobby, too. I mean, it's just amazing how much they love Hobby Lobby. And, and for goodness sakes, every time they go to Hobby Lobby, the stuff they bring back, for some reason, is just bathed in glitter. <laughs> there is glitter everywhere in my house. There is glitter all over my car. And I beg and plead with them. I love my wife. I love my mother. But folks, there's enough false gossip about me out there. I don't need to be walking around covered in glitter. <laughs> Who knows where that will lead, for goodness sakes. But it's where your heart is. And, and Paul, again, hits again and again. Thanksgiving, being thankful, being a person of gratitude and thanksgiving. That we constantly give thanks. We spend so much time thinking about what we don't have or about how bad our lives are, and we spend so little time being thankful for what we have. Do you know that Forbes magazine ran an article that said there were seven scientifically proven things that are better when you're a thankful person? When you're a grateful, thankful person, you are better in phys you're better physical shape, you're in better mental condition, you, you, have, you don't have as much stress, you sleep better, you have more friendships and deeper friendships when you're a thankful person. When you're just thankful. How much time do you spend thanking God for what you have? It makes a huge, huge difference. For some reason, it often takes crisis for us to get there. It's a shame. And Paul says you have to be discerning. Discerning means you can tell the difference between what is godly, what is not, what is biblical, and what is not. That's what he means by being discerning, by understanding what is foolish talk, empty talk. And that's important today because, folks, there's a lot of bad stuff out there in the world that Christians flock to. There are, look, there, you go on TV, there are some solid Bible teachers on TV. This morning when I was getting ready, Charles Stanley was on. Charles Stanley, pretty solid Bible teacher. But there are a lot of men and women on TV that the stuff they're preaching and teaching may sound really good, but it does not square with God's Word. It just doesn't. You can be pretty sure that if a preacher's telling you exactly what you want to hear, it ain't out of Scripture. 
It's just not out of Scripture. And you need to be, understand how. Okay, so how does this work? If that's examples of what it means to looks like to be filled with the Spirit, how do we get there? How do we get there? Now, this is, you need to understand what I say when, I'm, when I say be filled with the Spirit. When, when Paul writes in 5.18 that you're to be filled with the Spirit, that's a command. He is commanding the church to be filled with the Spirit. This is not something we're waiting around to be zapped with God's Spirit. Okay, now that does happen in Scripture. There are times when, when God just goes zoop and gives somebody gifts or whatever. Happens to Saul in the Old Testament. He starts prophesying. Happens in the New Testament with the disciples at Pentecost. They start speaking in languages they don't know and all that kind of stuff. That does happen, but that is not what Paul is talking about here because Paul would not command you to do something that you have no control over. Does that make sense? He is commanding you to be filled with the Spirit. Um, there's a great ebook. Hi, sweetie. There's a great ebook out there just called The Book of Ephesians by a guy named, I think his name is Eddie Rusnaki. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And he writes this. He goes, being filled with the Spirit is not getting more of the Spirit, but yielding every area of our lives to the Spirit's empowering direction empowering and direction, having our lives filled with God's Spirit as opposed to self. Being filled with the Spirit means less self, more God. You are, if you are a Christian, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, if, you, if we've baptized you or you've been baptized, you already have the Holy Spirit. But the problem is you're fighting it. You may have the Spirit in there, but you don't want to yield parts of your life to the Spirit. And that's what Paul is talking about, is you need to yield to the Holy Spirit and let it fill you up. It's there already. Now, as many of you know, I mean, I used to be overweight. Um, I, I used to think for some reason, after I left high school, I quit working out. I thought I had kind of the, 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 I had a lottery ticket when it came to metabolisms. Because for a long time, I ate whatever I wanted, and the only exercise I got was like coughing and sneezing. And I didn't, you know, there was nothing there. I didn't have any, I, I never gained any weight. Then I went off to seminary, and within 18 months of my first couple years of seminary, I gained 30 pounds. And not of muscle. Whew, watch it, jiggle, see it, wiggle. I mean, it was everywhere, and it was bad. And... I thought, okay, i got to do something about this. And I, I kind of I half-heartedly tried to, it didn't work. Then 9-11 happened. And I was in upstate New York when 9-11 happened, just a couple hours outside of Manhattan. And I was in law school, and I watched the towers fall, and I was moved. And I thought, okay, I need to do my, I had planned at that time, I was going to go to New York City, and I was going to be an assistant Manhattan district attorney, and I was going to do that for five years. Then I was going to come back here and run for office. You know, God laughs at our plans, doesn't he? And so I had these plans that didn't work out. And I thought, no, what I've got to do is I need to join the military and do my patriotic duty. You know, my maternal grandfather was in the Navy. That's why I really wanted to go. I applied to be a Navy Jack officer. I also applied to the Air Force and Army. And all of them have physical standards. And I was overweight. And I was like, okay, I got to get myself in shape if I'm going to do this. And I always rush into things way too fast. And I, and I saw this, the, the guidelines, how many sit-ups you had to do, how many push-ups you had to do, how fast you needed to run, how far you needed to run, all this kind of stuff. It's like, okay, I'm going to do all these things. And so like the first week, I'm trying to do all that at once. And I started to do, I remember I was in my living room and I was doing sit-ups and I was trying to do as many sit-ups as I could. And I felt this sharp pain and it turns out I ripped open the st my stomach muscles right here, and I've got a big scar right here from it. I literally ripped myself a new one. <laughs> and, I, you know, I went to the doctor, got sewn up. They put a mesh in there so I could, you know, they 
took care of all that. Um, but, you know, I, it just it, it knocked me out of the military. I couldn't go in the military after that. That's, that's an injury where they will not take you. And so I wasn't able to go. But I was still determined to get in shape. And I spent years jogging and doing all this other kind of stuff. And nothing worked until I came to this realization that maybe jogging three miles and coming home and stuffing my face full of fried cheese balls probably wasn't a good idea. That you can work out all you like, but then if you just dump tons of crap down your gullet, you're not going anywhere. And so I had to change all this stuff, and I had to change my diet, and I had to start working out really hard, and that worked. I had to look myself in the mirror, come to a realization of where I was, I had to put together a plan, and then I had to work. And what I'm telling you this morning is if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you've got to look yourself in the mirror, you've got to come to a realization where you are, you've got to put together a plan, and you're going to have to work. It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. And if you do that, if you do that, I promise you what it will look like, you will look very, very differently. See, the reason why Paul contrasts being filled with the Spirit to being drunk, to drinking a lot of wine, and he does that for a good reason. You know, when the disciples were preaching at Pentecost, what did they accuse them of being? Drunk. Because when you're filled with the Spirit, you suddenly become bold. You suddenly look differently, and you can't hide it. You can't hide it when you're drunk. I love to watch people try to hide it when they're drunk. I mean, it's sad, but it's also kind of funny when they're, like, going, like, straightening their tie, and their pants will take you off the fact that they're stumbling all over the place, Right? And you can't hide it. If you're filled with the Spirit, just like being drunk, you can't hide it. And you're bold. And I'll tell you what I mean by that, by, by being, what I mean by being bold. Billy Graham. I doubt anybody here would argue Billy Graham's not filled with the Spirit, if you remember who Billy Graham is. I heard a story. A guy who started a mega church in Seattle, uh, but long before that, before his, when his church was just in its infancy, when it was just like 20 or 30 people. He was working in a hotel in downtown Seattle. And one day, one morning, he was sitting there, and he saw Billy Graham get off the elevator and walk into the hotel restaurant, dressed very casually, sweater, khakis, and a Minnesota Twins baseball hat. And he went over in the corner by himself, had his Bible open. He was eating oatmeal, drinking orange juice. And this guy goes, man, I'm sure he wants to be left alone, but how, when do you get the chance to meet Billy Graham? He says, I, I've got to introduce myself to him. So he walks over, and he says, Mr. Graham, my name's Mark. And Billy Graham looks up at him, grabs his hand, and goes, hello, Mark. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? First thing out of his mouth. First thing out of his mouth. Now, think about where we're at. We're not that bold with people we've known for years, are we? Why? We're not filled with spirit. Like Paul commanded. We're not that bold. We're not that outspoken. Eddie Sreresnaki put it this way as well. He said, people notice a difference when someone is drunk. Is it difficult for others to tell who has been drinking of the living waters? That's scripture. That's the Holy Spirit. It shouldn't be. There ought to be a noticeable difference in our lives from God's Spirit being in control. 
People under the influence of the Spirit of God manifest the fruit of the Spirit. They're kind, they're gentle, they're patient, they're understanding, they're loving. Where are you at? Most of you, you know, are probably like, a lot like me, driving through New Boston. About that close from snapping. Right? A lot of the time, just like this. Because we're not filled with the Spirit. And you go, okay, Matt. All right, all right, all right, all right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a command. I understand it. That sounds great, but all right. But show me an example. That's Billy Graham, right? I'm never going to be Billy Graham. Okay, fine. I'll give you another example. I'll give you an example of, of a person most of you know who I think all of you would agree, when you look at him, you see the fruit of the Spirit, you see Christ shining through them, you say, that's a godly person. And I'm going to embarrass him, but that's Ralph Clay. Now, Ralph will tell you, will confess to you, though he's in the Word every day, he's not a Bible scholar, he doesn't know Greek or Hebrew. He didn't go off to seminary and, and you know, he didn't, he didn't, he just yielded his life to Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. I mean, you can see that so clearly in Ralph and so many people see it in Ralph. We had a staff meeting a few weeks ago, or maybe it was a month ago. It was myself and Rick and, and Dad and Andrew and we're sitting there talking about kind of, you know, rebranding Christ Community Church. What's a good slogan for Christ Community Church? And Rick came up with, you know, love God, love people. And you're like, yep, that's it. But there was part of me who wanted to stand, stand up and say, everything we put out there, every sticker, every billboard, everything, every, or, or the yard sign should say, Christ Community Church, we have Ralph Clay. <laughs> I mean, how much better can you get, right? Um, <laughs> All right, how do you get there? How do you get there? Now, I know I'm embarrassing Ralph, and, and the big joke this week is going to be being like Ralph plays like being drunk. But um, <laughs> that's not what I said, though. Um, but that's what will happen. Um, how do you get there? Okay, I'm going to work kind of backwards here chronologically and kind of in the hierarchy of importance. I'm going to work backwards here to and end with the most important thing. And I'm going to start with this, what I call proactive repentance. Now, what I mean by that is this. Repentance in the Bible does not mean you're just sorry for sinning. Pro- repentance means you turn from that sin. It doesn't mean that you won't, you won't slip you know, again, but it means you turn from that sin. And the simple fact is, unless you take common sense measures, you will continue to sin in that area. If you don't put up some barriers, you are going to sin. It's going to happen. I tell people when they're dating, don't be alone. Don't be alone. 
If you're alone enough, I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care how often you read scripture. I don't care if the only thing on your car radio is K-Love. I don't care if you only read Christian books. I don't care if the dirtiest movie you've ever seen was God's Not Dead. I don't care if, if, that's, if that's where you are. If you are alone with someone you're attracted to long enough, you're getting naked. It's going to happen. And so, you know, you just, you say, well, what, can I never see them? Yeah, you can see them. You can go on this thing called a date. You can go to, like, Applebee's. I don't think you're going to get naked at Applebee's. If you do, we got a whole other set of issues we need to talk about. You can go to the movies. You can go out with friends. You can, uh, you know, and, and my parents had a rule when I was a kid. When I started dating, like, 13, 14, started getting interested in girls, they had a rule. If I wanted to have a girl over, that was fine, but one or both of my parents had to be there, and the door to the room had to be open. And if I would have asked my dad, do you not trust me? He would have said, no. <laughs> of course I don't trust you. What kind of stupid question is that? It's just smart that you put up common sense barriers. If you struggle with addiction, if you struggle with alcohol, if you're the kind of person that you can't have one drink, you have one drink, you got to have ten, don't go to the bars. If you struggle with internet pornography, either put accountability software on your, all your devices or put buy a filter. They do sell uh, modems that filter out certain things. Do that, or if you have to, and I know this sounds just draconian and weird, but go without internet. I went through all the 70s and 80s without it, and we lived. We survived. It was not the dark age. We got along just fine without it. Do what you have to do. Practice proactive repentance. Just have some common sense. And if you know, you have to look yourself in the mirror and see where you're at. And if there's certain sins that you stumble with again and again and again, you've got to do something about it. It then moves to this, prayer. You need to pray every single day as much as you possibly can. And quit asking God for everything. Right? Thank God for what you have. And if you don't think you have a lot, you may not compare to your neighbor. But if, the, if your neighborhood's the world, you've got a lot. And if nothing else, folks, if you call yourself a Christian, what you have is salvation. You have eternity with Jesus Christ. You've got a lot to be thankful for. Pray. Study. 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 Rick says it all the time. Get a Bible and wear it out. Study Scripture. And I don't just mean devotions. We have devotionals here, and they're good. I read the devotional for this morning, and it providentially it's kind of fit right in with the sermon. The, the devotions are great, but you also need to study. When Paul wrote this letter to the church of Ephesus, they did not receive the letter, get up in front of the church, read two verses, and go, now how does everybody feel about that? What do you think? All right, next week we'll look at two more lines. They didn't do that. They read the entire thing from beginning to end. That was their church service. It was like their sermon. Same thing with the book of Romans. Same thing with Philippians. Same thing with Colossians. On and on and on. These have been read before the church all the way because that's how they were meant to be read. From beginning to end. 
You need to be able to sit down and study huge swaths of Scripture. We did a Bible study. I do a Bible study at Iron Body Fitness on Thursday nights. Body and Soul. We do boot camp from 6.30 to 7.30, which Jeremy Slusher runs, and will definitely make you pray for the return of Jesus Christ. (laughs) And then... If we survive till 7.30, for half an hour we have a Bible study. We did the book of Revelation in like four weeks. We were reading like whole chapters. And it's amazing if you read whole chapters at a time, you get the big picture. And it's not nearly confusing as you think it is. You can see the forest, the trees. You can see it. It makes sense. Study scripture. And there's so many good study aids out there that help you. Worship. You've got to worship. When we come in here, And Rick or Andrew or Ralph or Kelly, whoever is up here leading worship, they're leading you in worship to sing praises to God on his throne. We are not just singing to sing. We're not singing to each other. This is not a concert. We are singing praises to God on his throne because he and he alone deserves it. And... The effect of that, if nothing else, is to remind you every Saturday or Sunday that there is something much greater than yourself. Because if you're singing praise to something, that's, you're singing, you only sing praise to something greater and better than yourself. And we spend too much time thinking about ourselves. Loving others. Actively loving others. And by that, I do not mean... Just saying, oh, God bless you. That's not what I mean. I mean actively seeking the people around us to see them and reach out to them and see what do you need, what's going on in your life. And I understand you can't do everything for everyone. You can't. I don't have the amount of money I used to have to give to people. I went from being a corporate defense lawyer to being a nonprofit lawyer to being a full-time pastor. So my income has gone... So I I don't have the money I used to to give to a bunch of organizations like I used to and all that kind of stuff. I don't have that anymore. But you know what I can do if I have to? I can listen, and you can do that too. A lot of times people just need you to listen to them. And don't interrupt them and tell them what they need to do. Just listen and pray for them and with them. You can do that. Anyone here can do that. Love people. Now, all those things, proactive repentance, prayer, study, worship, loving people, all that is great, but none of that, you, you will not be able to accomplish any of that until you get this straight, until you know the good news of Jesus Christ, and it has invaded your heart, and it is at the center of your very being. And if you don't know the gospel, if you've never heard the good news of Jesus Christ, Paul summarizes it so well in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that in him we become the righteousness of God. And what he is saying there is simply this. Jesus Christ, the Father and the Spirit sent Jesus Christ, the Son, to the cross to die in your place for your sins. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the penalty for every wrong you have ever been done has been paid for by Jesus on the cross. And there is no other penalty to be paid. 
And it says that in him we become the righteousness of God. Paul goes over and over again. If you read Paul's letters, he loves the term in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That's because also when we come to faith in Christ, we are one with Jesus Christ. We become one with Jesus Christ so that his life becomes our life. It's as if Jesus pulls us all so close that when the Father looks at us, all he sees is the Son. We get his life. We are judged at the end of times not by our own life, but by Jesus' life. And that's why they call it good news. And you need to understand that Jesus Christ left his throne in heaven and was slaughtered, murdered for you because he loves you so very much. He loves you more than anyone ever, ever can or will love you. He loves you so much, he would die for you. We know he would die for you because he already has. Now look, I I am blessed. The two women closest in my life, my wife and my mother, they love me. I know they love me. I know that if called upon to do it, they would fight a grizzly bear blindfolded with a wiffle ball bat to to protect me if they had to. But that's not nearly as much as God loves me. Or you. Isaiah 53, the entire chapter is basically a prophecy about Jesus Christ. And in 53.11 it says this. If you'll throw that up, guys. After he has suffered, he, this is Jesus, will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their inequities. When he says he will see the light of life and be satisfied, what is Jesus satisfied in? You. It's you. What Jesus is most satisfied in is not the universe he has created with all of its wonders. It is not the depths of the ocean. It is not the mountains. It is not meteors. It is not the animals and the creatures. It is you. You. Ravi Zacharias a man I greatly admire, years ago wrote a book called Jesus Among the Other Gods. And he tells a story in there. Tells a story about a a professor, I believe at Union College, if I remember correctly. After several decades of marriage, his wife began to suffer from Alzheimer's. And she became very, very bad very, very quickly. He had to quit teaching. And he had to care for her 24-7 because she would not accept the care of anyone else. He had to bathe her. He had to carry her to bed. He had to take her to the bathroom and clean her up. He had to feed her. He had to watch her all the time because she would wander off. She would become frustrated and not remember quite who he was. She would yell. She would scream. She would throw things. She would break things. And he dealt with this all day, every day. And the doctors told her at some point that she didn't have many days left. And years later, it was discovered in his journal as he was writing. He wrote, Father, please don't take her from me. She's so precious. That's how God feels about you. Despite our selfishness, despite us constantly complaining, 
constantly asking for more. Though we've been given salvation, we continuously ask God for more and more. C.S. Lewis said, too many of us don't want a heavenly father, we want a heavenly grandfather. Despite all of that, despite how we hurt other people and justify it, despite our lies, deceit, no matter what, we're precious to him. He loves us. And once that gets into the center of your being, repentance, prayer, study, worship, loving others, won't be as hard as you think. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you came to earth to save us. You made us. You saved us. You're going to come back for us. You're so patient with us. We are so precious to you, and we do not understand why. But you love us. And so may we show our love to you and gratitude to you by being filled with the Spirit so that people follow us as we follow you. May we love, may we worship, may we study, may we pray, may we give, may we turn more and more of our lives over to you so that when they look at us, they see you and that you will be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Christ Community Church, thank you so much. God bless you. God goes with you.